Jesus has been raised from the dead. Amen? My wife Jenna and I have been engaged while sitting on our couch as best as we can, and we are all in talking back to the TV from time to time. Now, to be fair, this isn't completely unusual for me. As a big sports fan, if the Oilers are playing, if my favorite basketball or football team are playing, I'm regularly yelling or saying encouragement to my favorite players. So it's a fairly normal thing, but that's a story for another time. For now, let's focus on the verse that we've been reflecting on this weekend. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you. Before I came to Ellerslie, I was at a small rural church about 45 minutes west of the city, and we liked to throw a party. Any excuse we could come up with, we were going to have a party. Someone turned 50, Let's party. Our missionary partners were giving an update. Let's party. Bruce and Kathy's four growing kids have come back from all over the country. Let's have a party. But of all the events we put together, our biggest party was something called the Fall Feast. With about half of our church being farmers, we'd talk to them each fall, usually late September, and we'd say, when do you think harvest will be done this year? Because we want to celebrate and throw a big party. Our little church, we averaged about 60 people, and if you're thinking that small, well, I'm preaching to nobody in the auditorium right now, so it was a lot bigger than what I'm staring at right now, would more than triple in size. It wasn't unusual for the fall feast to have 200 people at the event. We would invite our friends, we would invite family, we'd invite neighbors, we invited the local seniors group, we invited the youth, everybody. It was a great time to party and to celebrate the harvest. The church budget would cover about 75 pounds of turkey and ham. The church family would bring all the fixings, the mashed potatoes, the cranberry sauce, the homemade stuffing, delicious salads, pumpkin pie, cookies, brownies, food as far as the eye could see. What does this have to do with Easter? The Apostle Paul, who wrote a number of letters to different churches after the death of Jesus, spends an entire chapter talking about the richness, the beauty the glory of Jesus' resurrection. And in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he compares it to the harvest, reminding us that there is something greater to come. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 22. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus himself is going before us, and that gives us reason to celebrate. After the Israelites had escaped from Egypt, but before they got to the promised land, Moses stood before the Israelites on a number of occasions and would say to them, brothers and sisters, when we arrive in the promised land, when we plant our own crops, and right before we reap the harvest, we're going to take the first fruits and present them to God and to the priests remembering that there is something greater to come. The first fruits was a sample of the very best the crop had to offer and would indicate the nature and the quality of the harvest to come. This became such an important part of the Jewish ethos, the Jewish culture, that the festival of first fruits was born. By faith, at the beginning of the harvest, a Jewish farmer would take the first part of his crop and dedicate it to God, believing his crop had been consecrated, set apart, and that something better was to come. After journeying through the wilderness, when Israel arrived in Canaan, they were to give their first fruits to God. 
And after journeying through the wilderness, when Jesus arrives in glory, he gives us the very best of himself, a taste of what's to come. It is in this resurrection of Jesus that we see the fulfillment of the first fruits festival, his resurrected body, perfect, whole, complete, immune to sickness and disease, will never wear out, will never gain the quarantine 15 and remind us of a better day that is to come. It's Jesus himself who goes before us and one day our perfect bodies will follow. His resurrected body, a taste of the future. That's our reason to celebrate, knowing that it's Jesus who goes before us and the best is yet to come. The second half of our passage is verses 23 and 24. And this is what it says. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Do you see the progression that takes place in these verses? It starts with Jesus, then all those who believe in him, and then the captives. This is a picture of something called the Roman triumph. It sounds impressive, doesn't it? The first recorded Roman triumph was believed to be held in 20 BC, where the conquering republic came back to Rome in all its pomp and circumstance. It was first Caesar, then his army, then the vanquished foe. It looked something like this. The triumph began with Caesar, seated on an elevated throne, uh, being pulled by four different horses. Behind him, the incredible strength of the Roman army with breastplates gleaming in the sun, looking strong and powerful as a parade of people watched and cheered them on. Behind them, the vanquished foes, no longer wearing their armor, but rather dressed in rags with heads bound down, often chained up, walking in absolute defeat. Over the course of time, the Roman triumph added even more pomp and pageantry with speeches, meals, banners, and music besides. But it always included Caesar, the army, and the captives. At the time that Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, this would have been a commonplace picture and an image that his listeners readily understood. So allow me to bring another piece of context into that picture. Do you know who the Caesar was back at that time. It was the same Caesar who asked Mary and Joseph to go to the town of Bethlehem. It was the same Caesar who was in power during the time of Jesus' birth. And what's so amazing is that Caesar Augustus could have never imagined that while he was trying to show the world how strong and powerful he was, Jesus Christ the ruler's true and rightful king, was about to show the world how great and powerful he is. As great as the Roman triumph has been and looks, a greater triumph is coming, the return of our right, powerful, and glorious king, who will be whole, perfect, complete, never again subject to weakness or illness, suffering or pain, aging or death, leading us into glory in our resurrected bodies. This is the king who in the midst of the battle goes before us, the king who in the midst of the battle will fight for us. And I have to ask the question, what would it look like if we believed this was reality? I invite you to listen to Michael's story as he's in the middle of living out what it means to believe that Jesus is going before him. 
Paul was the man chosen by God to lead the expansion of the church from its Jewish cradle, centered in Jerusalem, to be a world-embracing, culture-transcending, history-shaping movement. Paul was probably the least likely candidate for that role. As a rising leader in Judaism, after Jesus left the scene, he was doing everything he could to squash the influence of Jesus. Paul had every reason to not want to believe. And yet, he could not deny the evidence. He could not help but being impressed with the power and conviction in the lives of those who did believe. And he could not resist the personal encounter he had with the risen Jesus. And when he accepted that, it all came together. Some of us listening here today might be on the the approach side of that hurdle, wondering whether we can really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. This week, we are starting an Alpha course online to help you explore some of those questions. Check it out at erbc.ca slash alpha. So Paul led in establishing churches all across the Roman Empire, and he wrote most or more of the New Testament than any other writer. And the last book Paul wrote was to a young pastor as he was in chains in a Roman prison. Paul was in chains, knowing he would probably be executed as a power play to squash the Jesus movement. Timothy was definitely not ready for Paul to be gone. He struggled with fear, with insecurity, knowing he was not the apostle and needing the foundational support of Paul. And in this letter to Timothy, Paul reminds him of the core things he needs to know. He writes things like, he starts his letter off by saying that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control, control of your thinking. But he knows that Timothy won't always feel that. And then he says this, the core of what Timothy needs to remember. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Yes, I know that's the message that got me here where I am, chained up like a criminal. But because we know that Jesus rose from the dead, we know That the word, the truth, the hope, the love of what God did for us in Jesus, for everyone, cannot be chained. So Timothy, go for it. You can't stop the spread of it around the world and you can't stop the power of it in your own life. The one thing we need to tell our hearts when life becomes a battle and it feels like a losing battle is remember Jesus risen from the dead. Why is the resurrection of Jesus the one thing? Well, let's go back to that resurrection chapter that Dave referred us to earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of Paul's letters. The chapter that says the good news is simply this, Jesus died just like the scriptures have said he would. Jesus rose again three days later, just like it was promised in the scriptures. That's all we need to know in the battle zones of life. He is the one who has gone before us, as as Dave said, as the first fruits. He is the one who in the resurrection has fought and won the greatest battle and every battle that comes to us. He's the leading general in this parade and we are in the parade. And at the end of the chapter, Paul makes this promise that when the parade is over, when Jesus comes to wrap it all up, 
what we will experience is the ultimate truth of the resurrection, that death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? You have lost. Oh, grave, where is your sting? It's been defeated. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He not only goes before us, he has fought and won the ultimate battle against us. He has fought and has won the battle on three major fronts. Let's just review those really quickly. Number one, in his resurrection, Jesus won the battle against the real enemy of our souls, the one who sucked us into this mess, the one who we live under as human beings because we got sucked in by him, the evil one, Satan. 1 John chapter 3 says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy, to neutralize the work of the evil one. In 1 Peter he says, you are rescued through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. So the one thing we need to know, as John says in 1 John chapter 4, he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Number two, he has won the victory over the sin which I was born into and born with an inherited condition of my heart. It was religious Paul who was a model of human goodness according to the law of God that he thought he was to live by, at least so he thought. But when Paul met Jesus, he began to see his own heart in a different way. And he began to realize the way he'd been living in denial and trying to prove himself. And it actually led him into this funk, a deep funk, he describes it in Romans chapter 7, which ends with this huge statement of, well, it almost sounds like defeat. Wretched man that I am, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? But it's not true defeat. He can only admit the depth of his struggle in his heart because of what he has come to live in. The next line, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have won. He has defeated the penalty of my sin. By his spirit in me, I can have victory over the power of my sin. And because Jesus has gone ahead of me, one day I will overcome the presence of any sin in my heart. Number three, in Jesus' resurrection, he has fought and has won the one thing that came into the world as a result of human sin, death. Death itself. In Jesus' literal, physical, bodily resurrection from the dead, Jesus has won it all. Not just physical death, but the ultimate death, separation from the presence of God. And that's where he ends this chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just listen to the words of Paul. So it will be with the resurrection from the dead, the body that is sown perishable, is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown when we were born a natural body, but it is raised a body with spiritual life. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And then later on, he says, for the per perishable at that day 
when Jesus comes to raise us into him fully and finally. For the perishable will clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of Jesus' resurrection, as someone once said, the grave is simply a flower pot out of which a beautiful Easter lily will bloom. There is no major battlefront in this world over which the resurrection of Jesus Christ has not already guaranteed victory. And so, two questions. Number one, have I accepted the love and submitted to the leadership of Jesus in the battles of my life? You see, he only wins for me if I have allowed him to claim me, all of me. Have you allowed Jesus to claim you for himself? Number two, am I allowing that victory to define me? To define what I think about, what I see in everything that comes at me in life. I was powerfully touched this week by a telephone call that LaDonna made to one of our dear Ellerslie women who knows that she will soon be losing her long-bought, long-fought physical battle with cancer. A battle that has caused her to lose a lot more than just physical health. She's a woman whose lifeline the last five years has been to be with God's people in church on Sunday at Ellerslie. Now she's isolated at home, able to have physical contact with only a very few family members. And so LaDonna gave her a call this week. She was so thankful for the call and appreciative of what she had. And then in talking about her big sadness at not being able to come to church she said in a tone of voice that LaDonna said was almost cheery, filled with, filled with hope. She said, this Sunday is Easter Sunday, and it's my birthday. And knowing her, when LaDonna told me that I, that, I couldn't help but ask myself, oh dear, oh dear, what if, what if? She is living to the end in light of the truth of the song that we heard earlier. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, a roaring lion declared, The grave has no grip on me. Jesus, yours, is the victory. That truth is not invalidated by the battles of life. It is the validation that my battle does not have to define me, nor determine how I see today. I have also been moved as I had the privilege of journeying the last two years with someone who is giving herself to live in daily life in the victory of Jesus' resurrection life, even though at many times for her life is a battle. Let's listen to Tina as she tells her story. 